I was walking through the halls of a Minnesota rink When along came a wild fan who started talking smack to me He said, I bet you never liked the blues until they won a cup and So I calmly turned to him and said, hey man, listen up I admit it's pretty great to win Lord Stanley's prize But listen, I've been waiting for this moment my whole life Yes sir, I'm a blues fan, yes sir, I'm a blues fan Heartbreak's all I knew, man, that team from old St. Lou, man Got a cup in here, 52, man, give me a let's go blues I know Jackman, Johnson, Eastwood, Backman, Wait, Walt, Hanzoos, Nastrick, Jansen, Boys Young, Jammer King, Salvador, Korea, Brewer, Low, Pollock, Finley, Turk, Sanya, Buganecki, Jay McKee, McDonald, Mellon, Buchanan, Kavanaugh, Mason, Manny, Stillman, Stephanie, Yak, McClement. Yes, sir, I'm a blues fan. Yes, sir, I'm a blues fan. Heartbreak's all I knew, man. That team from old St. Lou, man. Got a cup in year 52, man. So give me a let's go blue. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Blue Notes, located on the best city on the Mississippi, the best in the Midwest. We've got that Stanley Cup power too sweet to be sour. And if you're still clueless, we're talking about St. Louis. This is your home for St. Louis Blues coverage on the Hockey Podcast Network. I am one half of Blue Notes, Tom Franklin, joined by my other half, the man called Wags. How's it going, bud? Oh, it's going wonderfully. Got a hockey game later on tonight so just because we don't have the nhl doesn't mean you can't still have fun playing hockey well at least you're playing hockey i mean the, the blues aren't playing hockey right now they're, no they're not this is it's so weird to step outside and feel that crisp november air you know signaling you know that it's definitely fall winter is coming right around the corner and it just feels like some days when you step out in St. Louis, you're just like, you know what? We should go down to, Inter- go down to Enterprise Center to see the Blues tonight. Oh, wait, they're not playing. because. Well, and I'm a COVID. season ticket holder now. So I, I've been a season ticket holder for the last two years, and I had a memory pop up on Facebook just two days ago about a, a game that I took my niece to. I'm like, oh, I could be down there right now watching a game. Ah, oh, this sucks so much. I had simultaneous memories pop up of like two games in that happened on October 30th, one in 2010 against the Thrashers, you know, Ooh, which deep uh, cut. yeah, deep cut there. And not only that, but it was like on I, I, I took it on really shitty camera camera phone video. And my God, has camera phone video technology like really improved over the years? Because my next memory was October 30th, 2019. And I was up in the press box at Enterprise Center looking down, and it was like crystal clear, perfect. I mean, you could almost like you can zoom in, you can see like ants scurrying on the ice. It was, you know, that good. Um, but then like the but the first video was just like it was so terrible. And I was so cringe because I was working in Aberdeen, South Dakota at the time, and I was doing like a little shout out to my uh, radio uh, comrades up in Aberdeen, South Dakota. And I was just like, God, Tom, you're such a dork. You're <laughs> such a dork. You were so stupid in your 20s. My God. Uh, we I, all were. We all much, were. Not that I'm much smarter in the 30s. But uh, anyway, uh, we are going to be doing something special here for the month of November. We'll have five Monday episodes uh, on uh, in November, including this very one you're uh, listening to right now. Or if you're watching it, you're watching it on Sunday, uh, November 1st. Uh, welcome. Uh, feel free to... Uh, leave a comment if you're watching on Facebook or Twitter or YouTube, and we will pop that up on the uh, screen, and uh, we uh, will be uh, glad to talk about it here, including 
Just for example, we've already had a guy, the Hawaii Blues fan, chime in saying he can't wait. And he can't wait because he's got a special Aloha commentary, which we're going to play here at the start of the episode. And that's how we're going to do it for this month, because we are going over our top five most stomach-turning moments in St. Louis Blues history. A bit of a nod to your recent surgery, Wags, which, by the way, shout out to Wags. And uh, you have been deemed 100%. So you can get back out there on the ice and uh, start laying some body checks. Yeah, well, I mean, body checks is a, a, a bit of a stretch considering <laughs> I weigh 170 pounds. But, yeah, no, I'm fully cleared. I'm back to doing everything that I love, which is, is working and playing hockey. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to be back and at full strength. And I've been able to enjoy adult beverages now. So that's, I, I, the, that's the best part. I've been seeing you. You're, you're, you're slamming them tonight. You know, you're, you're, you're really getting down like you haven't had, you know, alcohol beverages for a while so making uh, up for six weeks <laughs> good stuff yeah good stuff by by the way if tory crew can uh you know murder robert thomas you can probably murder someone too just saying although he is wondering he is he's got 15 pounds on you though yeah yeah just a little bit and he's got that hair too i mean i don't i don't have that long flowing hair i got good hair but i don't have that long flowing mane that he does well what's stopping you Wags? Uh, it curls up. I don't. Yeah. I, I've tried growing it long, and it gets like it gets like fuzzy and curly, and it doesn't it doesn't flow like I would like it to. I don't have that slick Italian kind of hair. I've got like <laughs> that, uh, you know, second stepbrother German hair for some reason. Not even like good German hair. It's just it's interesting German hair. Any guys watching tonight that can grow long hair, let us know. But like I I, I grew my hair out one time like that, and it was. It was back in 2005, so I was 20 years old. I was living in Bon Terre, you know, out in the middle, out in the middle of nowhere, uh, in this like very small ass house. It was just, it was like, it was a total redneck dream. And um, I, I, I had my hair down to my shoulders, if you can Ooh. imagine that. But it did the same thing that you did. It kind of started curling up on itself, and it, and it looked really weird. Um, I have a driver's license photo of that actually that I that I that I have when it was at about peak length, and uh, I sometimes pull it out just to remind myself just how much of a hayseed that I was, you know, about 15 years ago, and uh, also and and also just remember when when I had a hairline, you know, <laughs> that that wasn't retreating quickly from my head, which is partly why I'm wearing a hat today. So. You want to talk about bad haircuts? So I know we're getting off on a tangent here real quick, but back when I was in, you know, kindergarten, first, second grade, uh, this is back in the Billy Ray Cyrus craze. Oh, no. I had, I had spiked hair and a mullet. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. And there are pictures. So I'm trying to find all of them to burn them. I never had like a full spike like that. Um, but my, my, my dad, for some reason, thought it was a really great idea when I was young, like kindergarten through like second or third grade to have a rat, have me have a rat tail. Oh yeah. Uh, and I, and I'll just, I mean, it wasn't like a big super one or anything like that, but it was noticeable. And it was just, it was just, it was such a nineties thing to do. You know, the, the, the rat tail was just for some reason really popular. I, I don't understand. Thank God we evolved from that. Yes. So um speaking of which uh getting back to our uh topic here today uh the evolution of the st louis blues and uh, the stomach turning moments in blues history well the blues have come a long way from the days when they nearly moved to saskatoon saskatchewan and we'll get into that here right now with our good buddy guy the uh, hawaii blues fan uh and then we'll uh, go ahead and talk about it ourselves because it is our number five most stomach-turning moment in Blues history. Believe it or not, there's four more moments 
that are more nauseating to think about as a blues fan than the Saskatoon saga. Um, we'll explain why here in just a little bit. Also, honorable mention, as you can see here, um, we're going to have an honorable mention for each episode along with our countdown this week. It's kind of sort of related, not kind of. Uh, Scotty Bowman, the Blues um, head coach that brought the team to three straight Stanley Cups, all-time legend. You may have not even known he was a St. Louis Blues head coach, but he was, and uh, he walked for stupid reasons. So we'll get into that as well here. But first, let's go ahead and take it out to Dog Beach in Hawaii, and uh, the Hawaii Blues fan is in a uh, having a dog dog day afternoon. <laughs> That is Dog 4, Aloha, and welcome to Aloha Commentary. I'm Guy, the Hawaii Blues fan, and doing up fan report. The guys have come up, great concept, to talk about the 10 most gut-wrenching moments in St. Louis Blues history. Son bitch! We'll talk about it a little differently, talk about number 10 and number 5 today. Well, they're number 10, and my 10 are a little different. So let's talk about number 10 and number 5 for them. Number 10 for them, Scotty Bowman walking. In my eyes, this is a little bit of hindsight. It's 2020. He had a disagreement with the Solomons after taking the Blues to three Stanley Cup finals. Didn't like the direction. Decided to walk away and went on to become the greatest coach in NHL history. How could it happen? Said in St. Louis? Who knows? Well, my number 10 is Coach Q being fired. Coach Q is arguably the greatest coach in St. Louis Blues history based on his record, his tenure, his success, and taking the Blues to the Western Conference Finals in 2001 and then winning three cups with the Blackhawks. Well, their number five, and my number five, is the reason why I'm wearing this dog mask. In 1977, Austin Perino bought the Blues. However, by 1982, things had soured and changed at Ralston, and they decided to sell the Blues. They... I'm in an area called Dog Beach, and just over my shoulder, you can see where black tip sharks hunt to hunt for food. And it's fitting because sharks from Saskatoon, Canada, came hunting for the blues. They came up with a deal to buy the blues, build an arena, and move them. The arena went, yay! They were ready to go. The NHL said, hell no. Ross and Perina got pissed off, handed the keys to the NHL, and said, they're yours. The 1983 draft came by, and the Blues the, didn't let any, Ross and Perina didn't let anybody go. When it came to the Blues, they just skipped them. It hurt the Blues down the road. And it was a dark time in St. Louis. It's one of two very dark periods. 
This is the first of the two. I'll talk about the other one in another episode a little bit down the road. I'm with the guys on this one. Nobody at the draft. We were lucky that Harry Oness came in, bought the Blues, and three years later, we were at the Western Conference Finals. Sometimes dark ages don't last that long. Well, guys, let me say this. That is dog for. Well, guys, I'm going to let you talk about these. Have fun. This is Guy, the Hawaii Blues fan, saying aloha, mahalo, and I hope to see you next. Aloha commentary, Blue Note fan report. I'm bleeding blue with you guys. You know, Wags, this show is going to the dogs. <laughs> when that when, was setting up right there, wasn't it? <laughs> that that was that was beautiful setup there. Uh, good stuff by Guy, who, by the way, if you've noticed the his hands moving, but him not saying anything. Um, he, we, 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 he learned that uh, rubber dog mask and lapel mics don't work <laughs> really well, so he did. He he was he was nice enough to to record that, re-record that for us. If you're listening to this on the podcast, you won't know any different. So you know, tomorrow, whenever it is released on your favorite podcast platform, but just wanted to let you know and and stick taps to guy for that, and uh, we'll talk about some of his thoughts on um the Saskatoon saga, and then. Uh, he also brought up an interesting one with Coach Q being fired. Yep. I don't think he actually is on our list, but uh, we'll we can talk about that a little bit here. But first, we want to show off another one of our Hockey Podcast Network podcasts this week. Uh, you've actually heard uh, Nick Berlansky on this podcast before from Tip of the Iceberg, and uh, here is what they have uh, going on here this uh, this hockey offseason. Hello, hello, hockey fans. My name is Nick Berlansky, host of the Tip of the Iceberg podcast here on the Hockey Podcast Network. My co-host, Nick Horwat and I talk all things Pittsburgh Penguins, from top news to game analysis and other unconventional hockey talk. We've got you covered. A team in the playoffs or in the play-in round won the first overall pick, and I wanted to throw my phone clear across this plane. <laughs> Nope, nope, it, he else? will. Yeah, see, there's your he hot will. take, got it. We're That's in. my hot take. <laughs> he will be a Hockey Hall of Famer, if not possibly first ballot Hall of Famer. That was just awful officiating, and who who was this this scrub that was officiating? Let me let me look it up real quick. Mark Rasheed, <laughs> something like that? Oh, oh, Recky. I just I just wanted to see him booming it from blue line to blue line, being the lines. That's all I wanted to see. Very few general managers have those type of players, let alone three players that you can easily say, if I don't trade them, my team will be better. So all I have to do is not make a move. And I get that's a foreign concept for Jim Rutherford, but you just don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. You don't do that. <laughs> New episodes every Monday. Tune in at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcast from. And let's go pen.
you know, we love our other uh, hockey podcast hosts here on the Hockey Podcast Network, but it's Let's Go Blues, Nick. Okay, you, you, That's you, exactly you flubbed, what I was going to say. You flubbed your line at the end there, Nick. Um, I guess you can't be on the show anymore. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> pass uh, revoked. Yeah, pass is revoked. Boom. <laughs> Done. All right. So, uh, speaking of revoked, we need to get into our, first of all, our honorable mention, uh, which is uh, Scotty Bowman walking away from the St. Louis Blues. And uh, for a little bit of a uh, background into, you know, what was going on, you know, way back when, you know, this was 1967. Scotty Bowman was actually not the first coach for the St. Louis Blues. It was actually Lynn Patrick, who uh, was also the Blues GM. He thought he could do both. Turns out that after 14 games and a slow start, he couldn't. So Scotty Bowman was brought up uh, to be the uh, head coach, and St. Louis gave Scotty Bowman his first NHL coaching job, the greatest coach of all time. And he's and Scotty Bowman's a guy wags that you can actually say that with a straight face because there's really, in my opinion, no competition. No, none whatsoever. I mean, a nine-time Stanley Cup champion as a, as a head coach. He has coached some of the most prestigious franchises in history, the Montreal Canadiens and the Detroit Red Wings. I mean, we hated him in St. Louis when he was the mm-hmm. Red Wings coach. But you have to look at it and you have to go, look, he's, he got to start here. He basically built his coaching credentials behind the bench of the Blues. So whatever happened in Montreal and Detroit, you got to trace it back to St. Louis. So you can't really hate him all that much. That's true. That's true. And, you know, look at his record in St. Louis. He uh, he coached 210 games, uh, had a 97, 79 and 40 regular season record. Now, this was in the expansion era. So, you know, he was playing against other teams that were, you know, a lot more level than, you know, maybe you might see nowadays. Although I think there were one or two teams that were pretty awful to start off with. Um, And then he took the Blues to a 24 and 22 record in 46 playoff games. Um, you know, during his time as coach. So that's that's a pretty impressive record right there. And you got to be thinking, you know, you know, I know what you're thinking right now. Well, why would you let this guy walk away? Well, here's why. Scotty Bowman left the Blues after the I think it was during the fourth season that he was he was coach. It was after the third cup run and he left after team owner Sid Solomon reneged on a promise to make him general manager. So Bowman wanted to not just coach, but also uh, be a GM, which meant that he would have, he would be in control of, you know, player movement, the players, you know, the ins and outs of the team. Um, And he ended up joining the Montreal Canadiens and leading them on their great, you know, mid to late seventies run. And that was really kind of where his legend started. I mean, he he had a good record with the blues, but it was Montreal that really put him on the map. But uh, Wags, what if, why couldn't you have made him the general manager? Why? I I have no idea because you look and it's not so much the record. I mean, yes, 24 and 22 in the playoffs is okay, but look what they did in those Stanley cup finals against teams that were better, including the Montreal Canadiens. You know, they didn't win a game in those series, but they took those teams to the absolute brink in those games. They didn't get blown out. So you have to credit his coaching style and how you can't see that a young franchise was able to be successful under Scotty Bowman and not give him the keys to the car is beyond me. And and it really leads us into our our number five stomach-turning moment because Saskatoon may never have even been on the table if Scotty Bowman would have been able to stick with the Blues because the Blues may have won a cup or two before that time. 
Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, he he uh, Bowman never got to GM in Montreal either. You know, he was and he left Montreal because they didn't make him the GM. Stop me if you've heard that one before. Mm. So he goes from Montreal to Buffalo and you probably forgot or didn't even know that he was with the Buffalo Sabres. Well, he was there for, you know, basically the entire early 80s. Um, he, the, he, he coached good teams in Buffalo, but nothing great. You know, I mean, there was, I mean, they were fine. And then he went to Pittsburgh for a couple of years, won a Stanley Cup with Pittsburgh in 1991-1992. And then he went on to uh, basically be the bane of the Blues' existence uh, with the uh, Detroit Red Wings. Not that we're still bitter about that. One final fact about um, Bowman leaving St. Louis. So the winningest coach of NHL, NHL history leaves St. Louis. And the fifth winningest coach in NHL history took over for him, Al Arbor who was a member of those uh, Blues Cup teams. He coached the Blues to a 21, 25, and 11 record, including a 4-7 and record in the playoffs. Um, Really, after Bowman left, the Blues started to kind of skid a little bit. And uh, Arbor then went on to uh, be plucked away by the New York Islanders, and he coached those very strong New York Islanders teams, and that's why he is uh, fifth in the all-time NHL coaching records. So that means that the Blues... This is just as so St. Louis Blues have employed four of the top five winningest coaches in NHL history. You have Bowman at number one, Joel Quinville at number two, Ken Hitchcock at number three, and Al Arbor at number five. So, Wags, I, I'm putting you on the spot. Who's number four? Oh, number four is the guy that I've always wanted to coach the St. Louis Blues, and that's Mr. Barry Trotz. Good man. Good man, you know your you, you know your stuff. Yeah, Trotz. You, and honestly, he's a guy that I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up in St. Louis at some point anyway, because that's kind of how those things work. Uh, Trotz, yeah, hell of a coach. He is uh, fourth on that list, by the way. Um, one thing that uh, guy mentioned, he thought that uh, the Blues firing Joel Quinville was the tenth, you know, most turning moment. On he kind of mentioned that the Bowman thing was on hindsight. I feel Quinville's kind of on hindsight as well because. I felt at the time when Quinville was fired, I felt that it was just kind of one of those he wore out his welcome kind of a things. He was kind of just losing the touch, if you will. And I didn't think it was a bad firing at the time. But what what did you think? I mean, I was a, of the different side. I, I was upset that Quinville got fired. I thought the best was yet to come. Uh, you know, you'd seen the success that this team had. And at that point, they still had a very powerful powerful team here in St. Louis, but you know, you can't look at it in hindsight either. I mean, sometimes a fresh start is what some guys need. I mean, you look at, you know, obviously Tony LaRusso just got back into managing, you know, his first stint in Chicago with the White Sox was absolutely horrific and people didn't think he'd be able to manage after that. Well, look what he did in Oakland and then look what he did in St. Louis. So sometimes it does take that, you know, jarring result for you to take it up to the next level. And it, at the time, maybe that was Quenville's level with the blues that he could get you to the doorstep, but he could never get you inside the door. Yeah. And there's, there's been a lot of coaches that are like that. I feel Ken Hitchcock's legacy in St. Louis is kind of like that, where he really brought the blues out of the doldrums. I mean, granted, Andy Murray did a lot, you know, to, to bring the blues, you know, from, you know, the bottom to at least, you know, respectable. But then I felt Hitchcock was taking the blues to like yet another level on top of that. Um, so yeah, I, he, there's, there's definitely coaches that it feels like that, uh, you know, they could get him, 
you know, at least to the dance, but don't show them how to dance. You know, that that kind of thing. Um, so we do have our fifth most stomach-turning moment in Blues history now. And uh, it's really two moments, but they're really tied into one another. It is Saskatoon and the 1983 NHL Draft no-show. The uh, Blues are, the, I believe, the only team in NHL history that has ever just said, nah, I'm not going to go to the draft. Nah, fuck it. Fine. Here, take, take all these picks. You can have them. I don't, I don't want them. I mean, where was the draft that year? That might play a part in it, too. No, it was absolutely not. I mean, although, <laughs> although there is a story to be told you know, about the you know, Blues scouting team uh, that year, which we'll, we'll get to here in just a little bit. But I feel this is a story that you kind of have to start off from the top, if you will. And you, you've really got to explain how in the hell the Blues nearly got moved to the Fort Wayne of Canada, basically. And I'll explain why I'm making that comparison here in just a little bit. So um, those two events, the Saskatoon Saga, 1983 NHL Draft, two different events happened for one reason, and that's Ralston Purina. Yes, the, the, the guys that make your dog food, your cat food, uh, they owned the Blues in the late 70s and early 80s. They bought the Blues from the Solomons in uh, 1976 when Ernie the Cat Francis uh, convinced them to do so as a civic responsibility. But a new chairman took over Purina in 1981, and he wanted nothing to do with the St. Louis Blues, who were basically forcing the company to piss away a million and a half per year. You know, I can't really blame them for that. So... They tried, and they tried, and they tried, and tried, and tried a little bit more, but they just could not sell the team to a local buyer. Finally, they sold the team to Batoni Hunter Enterprises of Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. And uh, the President Hunter of uh, Batoni Hunter claimed that after all the necessary approvals had been granted, his group was ready to break ground on a $43 million, 18,000-seat arena that could be completed in time for the 1983-84 season. Now, keep in mind, Saskatoon at the time had a population of 162,000 people. So basically, they were like Wentzville. Um, would, it would have been the smallest city in the NHL by far. Now, nowadays, it's grown to about 273,000 people, so it's, you know, maybe more, it's more, uh, maybe it's more St. Charles now. But to compare that, Fort Wayne, Indiana has a population of 267,000 people. It's a place I worked at. It's a fine city. Don't get me wrong. But St. Louis almost lost the Blues to the Canadian equivalent of Fort Wayne, Indiana. I mean, there is no way this could have worked, right, Wags? No, not at all. I mean, you have no fan base, essentially. I mean, if you had an established fan base, like let's say you, you go back to Quebec or, or Hartford or something like that, where you know the populations are, are definitely bigger than you know, Saskatoon, but you, you don't have an established fan base. So there's no guarantee that you're going to be even able to fill 18,000 seats from 160,000 population. Uh, it, you know, it would almost have been like the Vegas model where you're expecting travelers to come up to Saskatoon. And yes, that would obviously increase tourist dollars, but who's visiting Saskatoon? Uh, I mean, Bernie Federico is from there. So yeah. it, you know, it would have been a homecoming for him. He would have had his hometown fans, all that stuff. But people aren't traveling to Saskatchewan 
for tourist attractions, and you're not traveling up there to see the Saskatoon Blues. Not only that, but if you're an NHL player, why would you ever sign a free agent contract to play in Saskatoon? Like, seriously, you you work your way up through juniors, you work your way up through college, you get drafted, and you're not dreaming of going to Saskatoon fucking Saskatchewan, okay? You're dreaming of going to, like, a Montreal or a New York or a Philadelphia. Not Saskatoon. If it was what? Thunder if it was Thunder Bay, Ontario, I'd have a I'd have a little bit of an argument. Okay, you know what? Let's hear it. If, if the Blues moved to Thunder Bay, why would you sign in Thunder Bay? Because it's Thunder Bay. Like, that's a hell of a great name for a city. If, I, I mean, are, are you confused with the Tampa Bay Lightning? You know, are, you know, is this like well, that's lightning, know, not thunder? You, yeah, you think you think that you're signing in Tampa and you're going to Thunder Bay? Whoops. It's Thunder Bay. I mean, that's a great name for a city. I'd take that. I mean, really, would you rather go to Thunder Bay or Tampa Bay? I mean, come on. You know, I would rather go to Moose Factory, Canada, <laughs> over any of those. You know, let, let, let's put a team in Moose Factory. That is moose an Jaw. City. There's a Moose Jaw, isn't there? There is a Moose Jaw. And, uh, yeah, Moose Factory is a very small, you know, like Inuit town that you can only get to by Ice Road Trucker in January. And it's still also fa- it's famous for being the hometown of Jonathan Chichu. Ah, still probably more readily accessible than Winnipeg, though. Mmm, mmm, you're onto something there. <laughs> I, Winnipeg doesn't even have an airport. They don't. They don't. They don't. It's terrible. Sad state of affairs. Well, thankfully, with Saskatoon, the NHL owners kind of reacted like we did, and um, well, most of them anyway, and they agreed by a fifteen to three vote to not allow the sale of the Blues to these Saskatoon weirdos. The only yes votes, by the way, were St. Louis, duh, which, you know, Ralston Purina, um, Calgary, who I guess they wanted us, they were thinking of like maybe a possible rival up there, you know, in Saskatchewan. I can kind of see that. And the third team was Montreal. It's like, unless you're just all about that Canadian pride, I don't know why Montreal would want to go to Saskatoon for games, but what do I know? So what now? Purina sued the NHL. The NHL sued Purina. The NHL owners sued Purina. And you got all these lawsuits flying around. You also have the NHL Players Association, you know, filing a grievance with the league over the potential dispersal draft of the Blues, which we'll get to here in just a little bit. And in all of this, basically Purina... They just kind of dumped the blues at the NHL's doorstep, left some litter and some you know cat food, and ran away like abandoning an unwanted pet at the shelter. That's basically they they just basically said, "Here, take it. We're done." And uh, they they just kind of ran off into the night. Um, they also got rid of just about everyone on the blues, including Emil Francis, who went on to be the president of the Hartford Whalers. And oh, this happened five days before the 1983. NHL draft. Five days. Now, the Blues scouting team, even though they are they were unemployed at this point, they went to the draft. And wherever it was that year, which I should have looked up, um, but, you know, they were there sitting there at the draft. They were ready to pick players for the Blues. And Purina basically said, well, there's nothing here that says we have to participate, so we're not going to participate. And that was that. No draft for the Blues that year. Can you imagine that happening nowadays, Wags? No, I mean, you see picks get passed over. You see that actually happen in the NFL a couple of different times, but not entire draft classes 
going away. It's just that that's reserved for extreme punishment. That's the death penalty in college football. That, that's exactly what that is. You don't see that in professional sports at all. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, by the way, uh, uh, Wags is just informing me, you know, kind of, you know, via smoke signal that it was uh, 1983 was in Montreal that year. So very uh, interesting to note. So now this kind of leads to, okay, so the Blues, they did not go to the draft in 1983. Who did they miss out on? Well, luckily, the I guess in this case, luckily, the Blues had traded their first round pick to Colorado for Rob Ramage. Uh, Colorado Rockies, they actually moved this very offseason to New Jersey. So when they drafted, they actually drafted as the New Jersey Devils. Um, and then the Blues moved their second to Montreal for Canadians legend Guy Lapointe, who by the time he was in St. Louis, he was kind of done. He was he was at the end of his uh, rainbow. So, no, the Blues did not miss out on like the likes of Cam Neely or Dave Gagne or John McClain, some of the names that were taken in the first two rounds. But they did miss out on 10 picks overall, starting in the third round. And that means they missed out on the likes of Mark Bergevin, who, of course, would be a blue later on. Uh, Brian Bradley, who was a solid player for the Tampa Bay Lightning in the 90s. Uh, Kevin Stevens, you know, Pittsburgh Penguins great Kevin Stevens, who was actually taken at the pick the Blues were supposed to make. And the biggest name of them all that they they missed out on possibly taking, and Wags, your, your stomach's going to cramp up when you think about this, Dominic Hoshik. The Blues could have drafted Dominic Hoshik this year. Imagine that. Imagine the Dominator coming up through the Blues organization. You know, for we we we, we would never have the goaltending conundrum that we had. You know, in the you know nineties and two thousands, we would just have the Dominator. That that would have been oh my gosh brutal. I, I, yeah, I, I, having him in the blue note, obviously. Maybe you never see a Curtis Joseph, which that opens up a whole other can of worms and a whole other yeah. Pandora's box because who knows what Cujo's life and career would be like not in St. Louis. Uh, but, man, just thinking about having Dominic Koshik for the majority of his career. Oh. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so rough to think about. Um, and, of course, this also leaves the Blues with a bigger problem looming, and that is contraction. The league threatened to strip the team of its assets and disperse its players throughout the league. So this means the likes of Bernie Federko, Mike Liute, uh, Doug Gilmore, Brian Sutter, Rob Ramage. They all would have been placed on different teams, and I guess it would have been like a, a contraction draft back then. Um, and then on June 13th, the NHL simply just said, Ralston Purina, you no longer own the team. It's ours and they effectively terminated the franchise. So the Blues, as we know them, or you know, if you had known them in the 70s and early 80s, were dead. As an organization, they were dead in the water. They did not exist for at least a little while. Um, but they still, NHL was still searching high and low for an owner because they didn't want to contract. They really didn't want to, you know, be put in this position. They got kind of, you know you know, shafted by Purina here and just basically in their abandonment of the team. So, you know, they had, you know, they had a crescendo of legal entanglements, you know, multiple lawsuits going back and forth, that NHLPA grievance looming. Um, And who is the savior of the St. Louis Blues? A California vending machine mogul 
which I can't believe I said those words. <laughs> California vending machine mogul named Harry Ornest. And he showed up at the 11th hour, bought the blues, and the Purina renamed Checker Dome for roughly $17 million in total. Imagine buying a pro sports franchise for $17 million. Um, and why did he buy the blues? Why did this California um, king of vending machines want to buy the blues? Well, he had a lifelong goal of owning a professional sports franchise, and the Blues, they just happened to be on the discount rack at Big Lots. So there you go. You know, who wouldn't say no to owning a team at a discount, you know, if you can afford it? Right, Wags? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm right there. I'm, I'm already counting my dollars to see if uh, if I can buy a franchise if if this happens again. <laughs> well, let's see here. Uh, who? What, what's a big team that that's like you know could move or threaten to move like don't say arizona because i don't want Corey yeah. yelling at me you know carolina's uh, been a, a team that's been always been rumored to move at some point there's carolina they seem, they seem to be stable now with with, yeah. with dundon though yeah, uh, florida maybe florida the there you go by the panthers and by uh, the panthers and then brush up on your french so you can move them to quebec i mean you never hey, know it could be a moneymaker could be. I mean, it, and it was for Harry Ornest because he owned the team for about three years, and then he sold the team to uh, Michael Shanahan for $19 million, and he sold the St. Louis Arena back to the city of St. Louis for $15 million. So do the math, and he pocketed a fair bit on this deal. You know, that's also stick taps to Harry Ornest for, uh, you know, finding a, uh, I guess, a diamond in the rough, if you will, with the St. Louis Blues. But one thing that, you know, Ornest was, he was known for being notoriously cheap. You know, he was a tightwad. Um, he was the reason why the Blues traded Mike Liute, for instance. It was it, That was purely money. Liute was making way too much money for, you know, Ornest's likes. But even even still, though, one you know, you can't credit Ornest for giving the start to one of the most beloved names in Blues history, and that is Ron Caron. He right after Ornis bought the Blues, of course, he had to fill refill the front office staff that you know uh, Brawson Perina just told to piss off. Um, he installs Ron Caron as the GM, and just think about all the trades that Ron Caron has made, Wags. And you know, don't think too hard because he made like a thousand of them. Um, but um, yeah, the Blues would not be you know you talk about guys that are instrumental in making the blues what they are today in 2020. I mean, Ron Caron's right up there. Yeah. He's, he's like the wall jockety of, of the blues, you know, while jockety remade the Cardinals, he turned them into a perennial winner and Caron did the same exact thing. You know, he took a chance on a guy like Brett Hall. Uh, these things happen because of Ron Caron. And you, know, you look at Ornest and he was definitely a guy that looked at this as an investment versus, you know, a sustained business operation, uh, and that's why he only owned the team for three years and why he was a penny pincher. He was trying to get the most for his his value that he got. Uh, and people in St. Louis were you know, upset or, or what have you about what he did for this team. But the one thing, no matter how upset you get at what Harry Arnest did to the St. Louis Blues when he was here, you always, always have to remember he is the guy that stepped up and kept the Blues here in St. Louis. We would not have the 29 Stanley Cup championship if not for Harry Ernest and what he did to keep the Blues here in St. Louis. And you would not be wearing that shirt, Wags, nope. if, no, if I it would were not. not for Harry Ornest. So there you go. 
there you go. The the uh, the the savior of the blues, uh, the the vending machine mogul himself, Harry Ornest. So I don't think anyone nowadays can call themselves a vending machine mogul. I don't think the economy works like it did mm-hmm. in the uh, late seventies, early eighties. So um, so there you go. That's kind of an interesting walk down memory lane. This is how the blues nearly went to Saskatoon and uh, how they sat out the 1983 NHL draft and just very unprecedented moments in time. Now, you could argue that maybe this should be ranked higher on our list. Uh, Really, the only reason that it's not is because neither me nor you, Wags, were born, even born. We weren't even concepts, you know, when this happened. So we don't have, like, that personal connection, you know, to Saskatoon like a lot of our older listeners might have. So... You know that that's fair. I I just I, I just even though even though I'm a blues fan, setting my aside my my blues fandom aside, I just can't imagine the NHL in Saskatoon. No, I, I can't no. either. I've never been there. I you know if if I end up there someday, I've done something horribly wrong with my life because it's a long ass way to get to Saskatoon. Um, I just yeah, Saskatoon, just wow. And maybe just, you're just going up there to interview Bernie when he's visiting his family. I mean, I mean, right? then 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 we're doing something right. Yes. Then we're doing something right. And I, I would be glad to work for a company that'd be willing to pay the travel costs for getting me up to Saskatoon. Um, I don't know if Saskatoon has an airport. I mean, if they do, they'd be ahead of Winnipeg on that. That's part. very, very true. Man, I hope we don't run into the Winnipeg podcast here anytime soon because we are bashing mm. the city yeah yeah but you know what they would do the same to us (laughs) they would do the same to us because as you know you you know how ornery uh winnipeg fans can get so yeah i i it's give and take man it is give and take so um, we've talked about starting rivalries with every single central division podcast so you know maybe that that's this is the start of the winnipeg rivalry we'll have to just could be how it plays out could be could be and, of course, we'll be back next week with our number four most stomach-turning moment in Blues history. We'll do uh, one a week uh, through the uh, month of November, so I hope you can join us for those as well. Uh, a couple of housekeeping things here. Uh, first things first, I want to give a quick shout-out to at Blue 89 on Twitter. Uh, Andrew has won our NHL 21 giveaway of the week for uh, retweeting our question of the week, which was... Um, you are Blues uh, GM Doug Armstrong. You decide to sign one still available UFA forward on a cheap deal. Who do you pick? And we had 55 votes, and Mike Hoffman was the overwhelming winner of that. 58% of the vote. Anthony Declare, 24%. Carl Soderberg, I couldn't get any love for him going, even though I tried. 5%. And Patrick Berglund got uh, 13% of the vote. Wags. But Wags, I really cannot. Uh, I can't blame voters for picking Mike Hoffman. He would be an incredible get. I think for whoever gets him, you just got to accept the fact he's a bit one-dimensional. Yep. You know, he he won't help. He won't help your defense out. But twenty-five to thirty goal scorers, they don't grow on trees. No, we'll take him, especially with Tarasenko on the on the shelf for a little while. If if he decides to stay and sign in St. Louis, uh, you know, we'll we'll embrace him. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, and then also we'll have a uh, hockey jersey giveaway through the uh, Hockey Podcast Network that uh, we'll be announcing on Twitter tomorrow, uh, or I guess today, if you're listening to the podcast on Monday. Uh, so just follow at Blue Notes Pod uh, for details on that. We're also on Facebook and Instagram as well. So check those out as well. But that's going to do it for me this week. Wags, any final thoughts? 
uh, I'm just excited to continue down this path and I'm going to be taking my Tums before each show just so I don't uh, get <laughs> stomach sickness. Definitely some Mylanta moments uh, coming up this month here on, on Blue Notes. So uh, that is going to do it for us. I want to thank you for listening and watching because without you, there is no me, there is no wags, and there is no Guy the Wyatt Blues fan, and there is no Hockey Podcast Network. I'm Tom Franklin reminding you to not be a chump and always play to the whistle. listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from.